Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 22, uh, recorded on June 18th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please, please do your own homework. Okay, well, we'll start with a market update. Uh, three interesting items in the Bitcoin news this week. And then uh, we'll, of course, move on to the monthly portfolio review for the month of June, overview of markets over the past 30 days and uh, my portfolio allocation. So with that, we'll dive right in. Stocks ended a third straight weekly decline on a modestly upbeat note in a volatile session on Friday, but still suffered the largest weekly percentage decline since March 2020, when the economy was shutting down because of the COVID-19 outbreak. Wow, that's not good. Several key pieces of economic data missed forecasts during the week, ranging from retail sales to housing starts, and the Federal Reserve raised its benchmark interest rate by 75 basis points, the most since 1994. The Dow Jones again closed under the 30,000 mark after dipping below that level on Thursday for the first time since January 2021. The Dow closed down 4.8% for the week, its 11th losing week out of 12, while the S&P 500 slumped 5.8%, and the tech-heavy NASDAQ also fell 4.8%. For both the Dow and the S&P, it was the worst week so far this year. Okay, moving on to Bitcoin news. First one here is from Coindesk, uh, and uh, it's uh, this one is how crypto lender Celsius overheated. Celsius rapidly became more brazen in its attempts to generate yields using decentralized lending protocols and aggregators to juggle around client funds for the best return. Uh, and so. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I will just uh, highlight the takeaway, which is that uh, Celsius Network, an interest-earning yield platform, has frozen withdrawals after using a myriad of failed decentralized finance strategies. It suffered a series of severe losses, including over 38,000 ETH in a blunder related to Stakehound, followed by a $22 million loss in connection with the Badger Dow hack. Customers now fear they will never be able to access funds that are locked on Celsius. Already reeling from last month's Luna collapse, the cryptocurrency market has shed $180 billion off its market cap in the wake of Celsius's announcement, and major exchanges have announced job cuts. Uh, and then it goes on to say, if the collapse of Luna was cryptocurrency's Bear Stearns moment, Celsius network threatens to become the industry's Lehman Brothers, the failure that exacerbates a market crisis. Celsius, which resembles a bank while touting itself as a democratized interest income and lending platform, is rumored to be insolvent following a freeze on withdrawals over the weekend. Founded in 2018, Celsius had more than $8 billion lent out to clients and $12 billion in assets under management by May of this year, according to the company. In the wake of the withdrawal freeze, Coinbase, BlockFi, and Crypto.com have announced job cuts while insolvency rumors are also beginning to emerge from crypto hedge fund Three Arrows Capital. Aside 
from the short-term implications, overall trust in the crypto industry is falling to new lows following a six-week period that has seen $60 billion evaporate in the Luna crisis, followed by the troubles at Celsius. Coindesk has received multiple reports from Celsius users over the past few weeks, some of whom are worried about losing their homes after being liquidated on millions of dollars of loans backed by the company's cratering CEL token. CEO Alex Mashinsky often touted these loans as a mega deal during live streams. Of course, now with the deteriorating economy, I'm very worried that I could lose my home if the housing market crashed, said one user. CEL was my backstop, my safety net. I did have other crypto, but it all blew up as I tried to prop up my loans, said the person who asked to remain anonymous, but provided Coindesk with screenshots showing liquidated loans. Despite numerous attempts to contact Celsius and Mashinsky, Coindesk has not received a formal response, although Mashinsky tweeted Wednesday that he and his team are, quote, working nonstop to resolve the issues. The company has reportedly hired restructuring attorneys. So uh, this is uh, obviously big, been big news this week. A lot of people in the Bitcoin community have been talking about this um, issue and what you have here are a lot of highly, highly leveraged, uh, you know, hedge funds and trading outfits. And uh, they've been taking, obviously, you know, investor money in, promising high returns. And, uh, you know, it's the old adage, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And so getting, you know, 10, 20, 30, I even think I saw one 90% yield um, on uh, some cryptocurrency deposits. Um, it's just not sustainable. And so, uh, uh, you know, and I did this, uh, many of these uh, exchanges and, and um, you know, counterparties in, in uh, this space are not regulated. Um, they may not be well capitalized. And so um, there is a huge shakeout going on right now. And uh, it's, obviously resulted in a lot of forced liquidations of, uh, of even the good stuff like Bitcoin and um, really driven the price down. But uh, uh, this is what happens when, you know, there's a lot of easy money and uh, uh, there's a lot of malinvestment that goes on. And um, the crypto space is uh, certainly no exception. And this is just going to have to work itself out until uh, all the leverage has been wiped out and um, Bitcoin bottoms and, and many, many, many of these other uh, altcoins are going to fail and probably not come back from this, uh, which is fine. That's uh, what we like to say, nature healing. Uh, the next uh, article here is uh, also from Coindesk. Uh, Russia's Gazprom Neft and BitRiver partner to develop crypto mining operations. The oil-producing subsidiary of state-owned natural gas giant Gazprom will provide energy to data centers set up by BitRiver. Russia's Gazprom Neft and U.S.-sanctioned Bitcoin mining hosting firm BitRiver plan to develop crypto mining facilities at oil fields, according to memorandum signed by at the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum on Thursday. Gazprom Neft will provide energy to data centers set up by BitRiver, according to a statement sent to Coindesk. 
These will either be at new oil fields where transportation infrastructure has not been set up or remote sites where the transport is too expensive, the statement said. Flared gas mining has garnered increased popularity over the past year or so as it enables oil producers to take advantage of what otherwise would be wasted methane gas. ExxonMobil is reportedly looking into this for some of its oil fields and Middle East oil producers Abu Dhabi and Oman have taken stakes in Cruzo Energy, one of the pioneers in using flared gas as a power source. On April 20th, BitRiver was added to the United States Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control, or OFAC, list of specially designated nationals because the company helps Russia monetize its natural resources. The company has called the measures unfair and anti-competitive and has announced plans to sue the U.S. government. Over the next two years, BitRiver intends to implement projects to create its own data centers for power-intensive computing with power scaling up to 2 gigawatts, including associated petroleum gas, which will additionally provide high and stable power consumption, Igor Runets, founder and CEO of BitRiver, said in Thursday's statement. BitRiver is one of the largest mining firms in Russia, with its local subsidiary managing over 300 megawatts of data centers. Uh, so this is an interesting piece because, uh, again, um, stranded energy or, uh, you know, gas that would normally be flared, which also uh, pollutes a lot more than gas that's captured and run through an internal combustion engine, um, is a, a <clears throat> great way to capture very cheap energy and, uh, and do Bitcoin mining um, uh, often in very remote locations, uh, uh, not necessarily where there are a lot of people. So um, it's interesting to see yet another company in addition to ExxonMobil looking into this. Okay, and then uh, the last one here is, uh, this one is uh, from Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin is an opinion piece. Bitcoin is losing favor on darknet markets, a deep dive into how Bitcoin's lack of privacy and by extension its insufficient fungibility has led to its loss in market share in darknet markets. If you wanted to buy contraband online in the last five years or so, you may have noticed that the option to pay in Bitcoin, once the most popular form of payment on darknet markets, is slowly disappearing. You may ask why it matters to you or the average Bitcoin enthusiast. You're presumably an excellent law-abiding citizen. Good for you, but that is irrelevant. Allow me to explain. The first major milestone of Bitcoin was to be accepted as a form of money. This happened with small, obscure merchants at the early stages. But as the word spread, Bitcoin found itself as the official currency of the darknet and allowed the creation of a market called Silk Road. Silk Road was a revolutionary online marketplace. Merchants from all over the world could transact from the comfort of their own home whenever they wanted and could sell and customers could buy whatever they wanted, all with a new form of uncensorable, decentralized, and easy-to-use form of money, Bitcoin. Bitcoin's adoption depended on markets like Silk Road to pioneer, and what was special about Silk Road is that it was an almost completely free, as in freedom, market. Free markets are excellent for adoption because they don't require bureaucracy, permits, regulations, or any other form of permission to run. The less permission required, the better a market can function. Therefore, there's more adoption, more merchants, and more Bitcoin use. 
without markets like Silk Road, Bitcoin's adoption is at risk uh, and the network is not as efficient as it could be. The importance of Silk Road and Bitcoin's history is without a doubt massive since it pioneered Bitcoin's use as a medium of exchange and it still remains the biggest Bitcoin goods and services marketplace in history. Now that you have a decent idea on why such markets are so important, I'll do my best to explain why Bitcoin is not used there anymore. The concept of fungibility and why it matters. According to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, fungible means being something such as money or commodity of such a nature that one part or quantity may be replaced by another equal part or quantity in paying a debt or selling an account. This is, this author says, uh, untrue of Bitcoin. Each coin has its own history, and that history may be accounted for when the user tries to use his coins. That history could also lead to the user getting in trouble when using or holding coins that were used in a criminal matter, for example, drug trade or an exchange hack. In darknet markets, privacy is of high importance. Sellers and buyers want to protect their privacy in order to guarantee their safety when transacting. Law enforcement is not too kind to these types of markets and constantly monitors the websites and merchants for privacy leaks. By default, Bitcoin has weak privacy and therefore is not fungible. <clears throat> data and metadata from the Bitcoin time chain can be linked together with off-chain data to form solid evidence against a defendant in court. There have been cases that relied on Bitcoin's lack of privacy as conclusive evidence of what the government sees as wrongdoing. Naturally, darknet markets were looking for solutions. Should Bitcoin developers add privacy via hard fork or would a soft fork be sufficient? Should privacy be on the application level rather than on the protocol level? The truth is that most people, especially the administrators and merchants of darknet markets, do not care. They just want privacy. That's one of the reasons Bitcoin is losing darknet market share to other cryptocurrencies that have figured this out already. Unlike other sectors, there's a lot of competition in darknet markets, especially when it comes to methods of transacting. Markets rise and fall, and so do the payment methods used in them. Prior to 2015, Bitcoin used to hold most of the market share in darknet markets, followed only by fiat currency. After the fall of many markets and their vendors because of Bitcoin's privacy flaws and bad operational security, the use of Bitcoin was starting to drop. Other cryptocurrencies like Monero started to emerge on darknet markets because they better fit the use case. They had something that Bitcoin does not, privacy by default. In retrospect, Bitcoin's focus on being a store of value overlapped with the development of the required privacy for darknet market use. Still, there are many attempts at enhancing Bitcoin's privacy, and I'll do my best to list the most prominent of them. Custodial tumblers were an early solution to Bitcoin's lack of privacy. There will usually be a centralized server that gathers Bitcoin from customers and dispenses them randomly to unlink the customer from the Bitcoin they send. Those have multiple flaws and massive third-party risks, and they are also often honeypots set up by law enforcement to catch dirty Bitcoin and surveil on users. There there's also tumbling with services that are not aware of it. This is a long process where the user will mix their Bitcoin with other users' Bitcoin by sending funds to exchanges, online casinos, and other sites that hold a lot, a large amount of Bitcoin. This has the same flaws as custodial mixers. A coin join is a collaborative transaction that combines users' coins in order to create a large anonymity set for them. This increases the privacy of all participants. 
This is by far the most effective method for privacy on Bitcoin and has been used heavily on darknet markets as well as outside of them. This one is a very important tool in the tech stack of a Bitcoiner and I encourage you to learn about it and use it. There's also, there are also fake coin joins who leverage heuristics to confuse on-chain analysis into believing a transaction made by only one person is actually an elaborate coin join. Bitcoin stealth addresses, prominently BIP47, introduced a way to have a stealth reusable address that only discloses the real address of the user when a notification transaction was made. This creates a new Bitcoin address for each user you connect with to ensure privacy. This was never widely used in darknet markets, but it's decent tech nonetheless and a personal favorite. The Lightning Network is a Bitcoin layer two with a focus on providing fast, cheap, and arguably private payments with instant settlement. Currently, the privacy on Lightning is great for senders, partially solving Bitcoin's fungibility issue on chain. Unfortunately, Lightning has privacy flaws when it comes to receiving money. For instance, the receiver needs to provide his channel point when creating an invoice. A channel point is the UTXO on the blockchain that is used to back the channel with on-chain Bitcoin. That means that the sender can view the receiver's on-chain transaction history. Merchants, especially in environments such as darknet markets, are looking for simplicity, something that Lightning doesn't currently provide. Arguably, the reasons above are why Lightning is not currently integrated into any darknet market. There's also a concern with the complications that come with running a Lightning node as a merchant. There is some room for optimism, though, as there are currently teams that are working on enhancing both the receiver's and sender's privacy, as well as the user experience issues mentioned above. This could potentially make it much more attractive to darknet markets in the future. Uh, he goes on to say, I cannot stress enough how important it is that we have decent privacy on Bitcoin that everyone can take advantage of. The solution is within Bitcoin's culture and community. There are app-level privacy upgrades that can be standardized to improve overall pri privacy on the network. Coin joins of all sorts, stealth address solutions like silent payments and BIP47 and encouraging users to run their own node and use non-custodial and open source software where they can. When transacting, make sure it's peer-to-peer -peer and not through an exchange or other intermediary. Never use a custodial wallet. You cannot ensure your privacy if you count on a third party to take care of it for you. Also, when acquiring Bitcoin, make sure you use a non-KYC exchange. Otherwise, your data and privacy could be at risk. My advice is to do your own research and make sure to take every precaution when using Bitcoin to ensure your own privacy. The more people that use Bitcoin privately, the better privacy everyone gets, and the more likely it is that Bitcoin will emerge again as the prominent currency of the darknet markets and consequently of other markets too. Well, that was kind of interesting. Um, I guess from a, I guess the whole uh, argument that Bitcoin is used by criminals is seems to be waning. That's kind of my, big takeaway from this. That's that's like one of the biggest complaints people have about Bitcoin is, oh, only criminals use it. Well, it doesn't sound like it's as useful to them anymore. They're going to other coins like Monero or whatever. Um, I do think, though, that the privacy uh, discussion is interesting because, uh, you know, um, more and more, I think the government wants to be able to surveil uh, transactions that individuals are getting involved in 
Um, and uh, I think when there's a central bank, or that's one of the key advantages, I think, to the government of implementing a central bank digital currency is they, they can have, uh, they can see everything that you buy and they could maybe even uh, force you to spend your money faster or slower or, uh, you know, stop you from buying certain things because, you know, of whatever. So, um, you know, I do think privacy is, is an important uh, topic and, and uh, you know, probably needs to be focused on uh, separate from the, uh, the, the criminal piece, obviously. But um, anyway, interesting stuff. Okay, moving on to the portfolio, monthly portfolio review. Um, another month and more pain in the stock, bond, and crypto markets. Um, so the S&P 500 is having a terrible year and it's only June and uh, it's, uh, it's down quite a bit. Um, probably it could eclipse 2008. Uh, we'll see. <clears throat> Same is true for NASDAQ, uh, only um, worse, you know, than, than the S&P 500. And it's also looking like it's, it could eclipse 2008. Um, the dollar continues to show strength relative to other currencies as sort of the preferred safe place for people. And I put safe in quotes place for uh, money to hide here's and then uh, in uh, in my blog post which I'll I'll attach a link um, you know you'll see all the charts but basically over the last five years we've seen quite a bit of dollar strength and um, very strong demand for dollars uh, globally which is a bit counterintuitive when you when you consider how how much inflation we have and how much money printing there's there there's been um you know since 2020 also unlike during the global financial crisis in 2008 um, bonds haven't really been the reliable safe haven asset thus far um, and i think that's probably because of the huge negative real yields you know we have 8.6 percent inflation versus the 3.2 percent uh, interest on the 10-year treasury for example um, and I think also the threat that, you know, um, inflation continues to be persistently high going forward, despite the Fed's best efforts to try to tame it. <clears throat> um, 10 year U.S. Treasury yields have basically been climbing all year. So, uh, price moves inverse to the rate. So that means the bonds have basically been selling off. Um, some market watchers think rates might have peaked here recently. They sort of went parabolic uh, leading up to the Fed meeting. Um, but it seems like they have room to continue to go higher. And then as I highlighted last week, um, for May, we saw a 41-year high inflation print of 8.6% from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. <clears throat> and then this week, the Fed responded to that. Um, by raising interest rates 0.75%. Um, interestingly enough, after leaking their intention to the Wall Street Journal on Monday, which triggered a huge stock market sell-off because that was higher than the 0.5% that was that they had communicated before and that was everyone was anticipating. Um, 
here's some uh, highlights from trading economics uh, regarding the Fed's decision. Federal Reserve increased the Fed the funds rate by point, 75 basis points to 1.5% to 1.75% during its June 22 meeting instead of 50 basis points initially expected after the inflation rate unexpectedly accelerated last month to 41-year highs. It's the biggest rate increase since 1994. And Chair Powell signaled a similar move could come at the next meeting, but he does not expect 75 basis point moves to be common. Policymakers see interest rates increasing to 3.4% this year, well above the 1.9% expected in March. Meanwhile, the economy is seen expanding 1.7% this year, below 2.8% estimated in March, and the growth outlook is also lowered to both 2023, 1.7 versus 2.2%, and 2024, 1.9% versus 2%. PCE inflation is seen higher at 5.2% in 2022 versus 4.3% expected in March, while the outlook was revised lower for both 2023, 2.6% versus 2.7%, and 2024, 2.2% versus 2.3%. The jobless rate is seen higher for the three-year period, 3.7% for 2022 versus 3.5%, 3.9% in 2023 versus 3.5% before, and 4.1% in 2024 versus 3.6%. So while there was a brief rally in the stock market during Jay Powell's Q&A session on Wednesday, the next two days were ugly, uh, with more selling across the board and overall another down week, as I mentioned earlier. Overall, investors continue to be in the mood to sell everything, and market sentiment is still negative. Um, so for the month, my portfolio was down 10.4%, so only 10 more months until I'm zero, I guess, at this rate. Slightly worse than the Dow, seven, which was down 7.78%. Uh, the S&P 500 was down 9.21%, and NASDAQ 8.83%, again, over the same 30-day period. Um, and, of course, I think my underperformance is largely due to my overweight Bitcoin position. Um, on that, and, the, and I think as we talked about uh, earlier regarding Celsius, um, Bitcoin has faced a steep sell-off recently uh, relative to the stock market. Bitcoin selling initially led the negative sentiment in the stock of bond markets, as is usually the case. But selling accelerated recently due to unwinding of highly leveraged hedge funds and DeFi trading schemes, Celsius, for example, and the collapse of Terra Luna which I think I talked about um, a week or two ago. And all of that has really re resulted in forced selling of Bitcoin to cover margin calls. And all of this is further exacerbated by Bitcoin's relatively low liquidity. You know, it's only a half a trillion dollar market cap versus you've got a hundred trillion in global equities. And of course, unlike traditional markets, there's no central bank lender of last resort waiting in the wings to bail the market out. For Bitcoin. And so in some ways, Bitcoin might be the last true free market that we have. <clears throat> I don't think we've seen the bottom of this deleveraging event yet. Um, in fact, um, while I was putting this together uh, earlier today, I think, or maybe it was last night, Bitcoin dipped to as low as 17,500. And a lot of people said it wouldn't go below its prior all-time high. Um, can scratch that one off the list. 
Um, but I do think it's important to purge the excess leverage um, out of the system to build a strong base for future appreciation. So, you know, this is really necessary. And, fu and it's funny, it's a little counterintuitive to most folks, but many in the Bitcoin community are actually happy with the lower prices because they have an opportunity to accumulate additional coins at a discount. I think if you have conviction about the long-term potential of Bitcoin as a superior self-sovereign monetary asset and store of value, like I've talked about you know, many times in the past, buying at these levels certainly makes a lot of sense as compared to buying at you know, recent all-time highs, um, sort of by, by fear, by capitulation. Um, so moving on to the portfolio breakdown, here it is for the month. Uh, so cash is at 1.8%, stocks 15.2%. Uh, We've got large cap at 2.4, mid cap 2.2, small cap 2.2, all US, international 8.3%. Um, and all of this is actively managed funds um, in my uh, workplace 401k account. Uh, no current positions in commodities, no positions in bonds at this time. Real estate is at 34.6%, 27% of that is uh, in, in a 401k um, actively managed uh, account. And the rest of it is just investment property. Um, by the way, if you're interested in how I got started in real estate investing, um, there's actually a link in my blog post to my book, uh, which is on Amazon. Private equity is at 20.3%, and um, that includes a lot of uh, small investments um, on a few different platforms. I've used Seed Invest, AngelList, Republic, and then I have a couple direct investments in startups. Um, I do try to spread spread it around a lot, and I like disruptive themes like artificial intelligence, genomics, property tech, um, fintech, blockchain, energy, cybersecurity, esports, cannabis. I didn't add any new positions uh, this month. Um, Bitcoin is at 15.5%, and I have a mix of direct ownership, self custody, cold storage. I also have a, an account at Bitcoin IRA. Uh, an account at Unchained IRA, and a small amount of uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. I'm also dollar cost averaging every two weeks from my paycheck directly into Bitcoin in my Strike account with zero fees. And then I just move that monthly to cold storage. So Bitcoin is down about 32% since last month. But you know, again, my time horizon is 5-10 years, so I don't get too worried about short-term price fluctuations. And I'm Always looking to buy at attractive entry points to add to my position in addition to <clears throat> the dollar cost averaging that I do on a regular basis. As we say in the community, stay humble and stack. And then uh, lastly, gold, silver, other alternatives is 10.2%. So my gold, silver is just uh, physical coins. And then um, uh, the majority of the rest of this is a Masterworks account that I opened up. Uh, to invest in fractional interest in fine art, which I think is a terrific defense against inflation. Um, you do have to have, uh, you know, patience because it could take a few years before they, you know, eventually sell those those pieces and you can uh, realize a profit. And at that point, you can take the money out, pay the tax, 
or you can uh, you know use the money to roll over and buy additional artworks if uh, if that suits you. Haven't had any sales yet since I just invested recently, so we'll uh, we'll see how that one goes. So overall, I made very few changes to the portfolio this month, other than adding Bitcoin on the recent dip at around twenty thousand. Um, I do feel that the portfolio is well positioned to benefit from our stagflationary environment that we seem to be in. Um, as ridiculous it is, as it is, everyone is watching the Fed for investing signals. And right now, as long as they're raising rates, all assets are going to struggle as liquidity in the financial system is drained. So much for free market capitalism. I think it's more like authoritarian central planning. Most long-term investors are either holding their positions that they have high conviction in, <clears throat> or they've already sold and they're just sitting on large amounts of cash in this environment, waiting for the Fed's quote buy signal. Of course, cash is losing value due to inflation, but you know losses in the stock market could be much greater until we find a bottom, which uh, nobody seems to know when that's coming. So one of the things I'm most frustrated about and why I'm such a proponent of sound money like Bitcoin, gold, silver, is that it's it's just not possible to work hard, save your money, and then know that your savings you know, will buy the same value of things in the future as it does today. Like, for example, putting it in the bank or whatever. And to me, that's the essence of sound money. Um, inflation, even a small amount, guarantees you'll lose purchasing power. And, and I did talk about this last week as well. This forces all of us to go out the risk curve and speculate on stocks, crypto, not Bitcoin, real estate and other investments in order to beat inflation. And what's worse to me is that the little guy simply can't compete with Wall Street institutions who have much greater resources. Um, and we're putting our retirement accounts and our homes at risk constantly in this. And I've seen it repeatedly now. I've seen it in the dot-com bust. I've seen it in the great financial crisis. We saw it in, in 2020 with the COVID, and we're seeing it again, you know. Um, so, you know, what ends up happening is in this system, debt and leverage is money until you can't pay it back. Then you get wiped out while Wall Street gets bailed out by the central banks as they did during the global financial crisis in 2008 and then again in 2020. And this just isn't right. You should have the option to speculate, of course, but you should not. it should not be a necessity to survive. So many observers are skeptical that raising the federal funds rate to 3.4% this year is going to do much to curb inflation running at 8.6%. In fact, raising rates higher than the rate of inflation, arguably necessary in order to tame inflation, would almost certainly cause massive damage to our highly leveraged and interconnected global financial system. What seems most likely is that the beatings will continue until morale improves. Eventually, the Fed will have to reverse their aggressive interest rate policy stance. It's not a question of if, it's just when and most likely after we have already entered a recession in the US. So when that happens, there could be a powerful market rally. And I think Bitcoin will do particularly well at that time in addition to precious metals, because inflation will most likely still be elevated. 
and the Fed may even adjust their inflation target from say 2% up to 4% or something like that. Who knows? Until then, it's not going to be smooth sailing. So buckle up. And that is, that's all I got. So thanks for listening to the podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You could also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com and I'll also include a link to this week's post in, in the show notes. <clears throat> um, you can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Nick Reichert. And I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.